Hi. One of the features here on Less the Book Coach is going to be a weekly podcast. Everybody has a story. I spent 17 years in radio asking questions, and until I started this series, I had no idea how much I missed it. The format of these podcasts is going to be a guest and me in a conversation, and you get to eavesdrop. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed the conversation. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Everyone Has a Story. Our guest today is Janice Blake. Uh, Janice has led, has led uh, somewhat of an unusual life in that she's a professional jockey. Janice, uh, welcome to the show and uh, thanks for your time today. Thank you, Les. Thanks for having me on. Janice, uh, the, the first question that comes to mind, uh, and, and you've, you've spent uh, two decades as a professional jockey, the first question that comes to mind is how in the world does a young lady become a jockey? What, what, what were the steps to get you started? Well, first is certainly a burning desire, a passion, um, unrelenting um desire to be with horses and to not just to be with horses but to go fast and the faster the better so um loving horses and wanting to go fast it was naturally that i i, was, I gravitated toward being a jockey because that's as fast as you can go on a horse so i was always fascinated and intrigued by jockeys even when I was very small, four years old, I was, I knew what a jockey was and I wanted to be a jockey when I was four years old. I used to have uh, books on champions and different types of uh, sporting events and all these types of books. I have pictures of myself with these books. And um, my imagination was just fired by, by people doing things um, in 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 an extreme manner that way so i always gravitated towards horses and and i would just wonder how can i do this how can i be a jockey how can i get to around horses the first thing was just to be around horses because i never uh, had horses in my life i was born in the suburbs and none, none of my family was into horses certainly not race horses uh, my mom grew up on a farm and that was as close as I had any relationship uh, with the horse. Janice, I got to meet you when we started to work on your book. So I, I, have a, I know a little bit of, of your background. I have an advantage there. But you really didn't grow up uh, around the track or, as you said, uh, any tie to horses at all. Tell us, you know, where did you grow up? How did you get started in this? Okay, so I grew up outside of uh, Chicago in Northwest Indiana. Uh, my father had a job at uh, U.S. Steel, which was in Gary, and so we lived a little bit east of Gary. And um, not too many horses around there, certainly no racetracks. Racetracks were all in Chicago at that time. And uh, I have no idea how I, I got bitten with the horse bugs so early, but I did. And everything was horses, horses, horses. People would give me things for my birthday. It was always a horse statue. I was always fascinated with horses, and um, I wanted to ride horses, and so I figured 
the only place to ride a horse was at the livery stable, but that was $6, but I didn't have $6, and my, my parents certainly didn't have $6 to give me. I come from a family of six, four boys and two girls. I'm the youngest. So uh, there's a you know, you really got to stretch the money around. Um, you can't just give one kid $6. <laughs> so I used the shovels to know and I um, break leaves. I had a paper route, things like that, just to make money. And when I would get up to $6, I would take my $6 and go on a, a horse trail ride. Now, and, uh, we've talked about this uh, as as we worked on your book, that uh, pretty soon you developed uh, or you found a job at the uh, at the stables, and, and that allowed you to be with horses. But it was also a source of, of pretty cheap labor for the for the horse right. owners as well, wasn't it? Tell us a little bit right. about about that interaction and and how that goes. Well, I didn't even realize it at the time, and certainly the other kids that were working there didn't realize that. We were just we just loved horses, and we loved being useful. You know, these things where you know kids aren't supposed to start working till they're sixteen. Everybody likes to feel useful, even a, even a two-year-old, a four-year-old, six-year-old. So when we were allowed, <laughs> I should say, to work with horses 10, 12 hours a day, it wasn't, in our minds, it wasn't like it was a job. It was just, wow, yeah, let me clean the stalls. Uh, let me throw the hay around and... It wasn't only until later when, when uh, you know, we were exhausted for six, 12 months at a time. I used to wake up. I, I would feel like I had cinder blocks on my arms and legs because of how tired I was. But, uh, I, again, I didn't realize that. It, it was, you know, nobody clued me in <laughs> that we were uh, working this hard for $5 a day. And... Um, and if they did, it wouldn't have mattered because we were doing what we loved and we loved the horses. It wasn't until you know later when I became a later teenager, 16, 17, I said, wait a minute. <laughs> you, you made the realization, but you didn't quit working with horses, did you? <laughs> you no. You, you no. realized that you were a cheap labor source, but, but that didn't stop you. Right, right. Um, it just kind of evolved. Um, you know, my parents, certainly my mother was happy that I, that she knew where I was all day. You know, she would just drop me off in stables and, and uh, I would be there all day. And then it kind of evolved into being there every day because I met friends. And then I would, I would spend the night at their house and I just didn't go home for, you know, days on end. And, you know, I would go home once in a while to take a shower and change my clothes and eat and stuff like that. But for the most part, I was living at the stables, certainly during the summer. And then, um, you know, going to school, I, I would catch the bus at the, at the stables in the morning. <laughs> and then I, I would sneak on the bus at, uh, at night because the, the bus driver kind of knew who the kids were on her route, and she wouldn't let me on the bus if she knew I was trying to get on the bus. So I would sneak on the bus when she wasn't looking. And I would ride down to the stables after school. And then if it was a weekend, I would just stay there all weekend. And then what happened was I, I got my own horse, and then I needed to pay for him. But the way I did that was 
I um, used him as a livery horse, as a as a lead horse, not a livery horse, a lead horse. And I would take out my my the trails that I had on my own horse, so that paid for his board. You you grew up you 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 were working this business in in high school and you grew up and you surprised me that you went to a rather prestigious school. It didn't work out for you, but but tell us about that experience. Yeah, I wanted to be a jockey, and I told the guy that my instructor, you know, I want to be a jockey. I want to go to the racetrack, and you know, I have to start galloping horses now because I have to learn how how to do that, and in order to be a jockey and and he he was from the east coast and he just he he discouraged me from doing that and certainly my mother did when i when i said that to my mother you know oh, i have to go to the racetrack i have to start galloping horses she said no just go to school right now and blah 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 and i i really did want to be educated i i did want to go to school anyway so i went to purdue north central which was right by my house and i was an indiana resident so it wasn't uh, that expensive. I mean, it was expensive, certainly, but not as if I had been out of state. And then um, I took all the classes I could for the first couple of years. And then I, it, it became apparent that I needed to go on campus. So I went on campus the next semester. And it was like complete, total <laughs> culture shock for me because uh, I wasn't used to being around a lot of kids. Especially, there's really not a lot of people who were motivated. You know, Indiana, most people are pretty sedate, laid back, and they're not real, like, go-getters. But being at Purdue, everybody is is very, is ambitious, you know. And um, I was pretty catatonic, social, socially speaking, um, especially around people my own age. And, um, you know, Purdue has this, I don't know what the stat is now, but they have many, many sororities and fraternities and people rushing and, you know, you go to fraternity parties and it's not pretty, you know, it's not, certainly not politically correct. So um, that was shocking for me because um, I had been at the stables all through high school and I didn't have a boyfriend through high school and to be thrust into this atmosphere of sex, drugs, rock and roll, and maybe go to school, you know, go to your classes. Uh, it was um, jolting. And <laughs> I just went to my classes and went back to my room to study. I didn't hang around and, you know, get involved in campus life. I wasn't up to that point yet. You know, I wasn't there. So anyway, on the weekends, I would go back up to the stables in Indiana, in northwest Indiana, to ride my horse, who I had leased out to another student of my instructors, who's an older lady, cat lady. And she took care of my horse while I was in college, and then I went up on the weekends to ride. And there was a man there who, whose daughter was riding there. Her, his daughter was incredibly smart. She went to the University of Chicago, and she was, she was amazingly smart. And uh, he noticed that I was not getting along well at Purdue, even though academically it's you know it was very good and um he suggested antioch college which i didn't know anything about and so i i kind of researched it and what i liked about antioch was that it was full of independent thinkers people who could think for themselves 
not uh, not on along the beaten path, and that it was small classes, and it was out in the middle of a cornfield. I mean, so is Purdue, but Purdue is like a city of of its a big city, you know. But um, Antioch is very small, and um, the teachers you call them by their first name, and they they did evaluations, which I think they've gone to grades now because they wanted to be certified and they couldn't be certified if they did evaluations. But when I went, it was evaluations only. And that appealed to me. And so I transferred to Antioch and away from Purdue. Uh, I was going for a pre-veterinary degree. And I think I was intimidated by the other vet students, certainly the vet program. At Purdue, even though I was, was just as smart and, and I certainly had the the experience, which I didn't realize I did. You know, I was way ahead of the other students in, as far as being experienced in horses and, and and animals. But I was intimidated by by the the curriculum and the rest of it. So I went to Antioch, which was much better for me because I I kind of melded into the the student body much better. There were people like me there who were social misfits and people who are on the fringe and they didn't they weren't valley girls and and in yuppies and you know money was the only driving force in their lives and they were socially active which is what i wanted to be and um i antioch was a much better fit for me today's interview is about you being a jockey so let's fast forward how does this how does this start walk us through the process uh, on the racetracks that you went to okay so I, I went to college at Antioch and I, I was riding horses in the meantime and the thing about riding horses is you have to keep your body in shape to ride you can't ride on the weekends and think you're gonna progress okay you have to ride every day to keep your body and your muscles fit. So I, I had a, a job. I mean, I had horses that I rode at Antioch. And Purdue, I mean, uh, Panache, my horse in Indiana, went with a lady there. So um, I went to back to see her on my breaks. But after I graduated Antioch, there was a an instructor from Germany who came to the stable where I was riding at Antioch, and he needed a, a working student in um in canada ontario around little britain um petersboro peterborough so i went there and um i schooled with him for about 10 months until i couldn't take it anymore um because he was german and tough you know and i wanted to get on with my life i i didn't see any future in that because I was riding dressage horses, upper level dressage horses, like intermediate one, intermediate two, learning passage, um, piaf and all these upper level movements. But then I was thinking, how am I going to capitalize on this? And, you know, I was stuck up in Ontario and I didn't see anybody. I didn't, wasn't meeting anybody. So I just, I left, I left Ontario and went to Chicago and I had uh, also, when I was when I studied at Antioch, I I had a a working job, a working student job as as a stagehand in the theater. So I decided I wanted to be an actor. So I I told myself I'm not going to have horses in my life anymore. I'm just going to be a regular person. But that didn't work out actually. Just to cut to the chase. Um, 
so one day I was on stage. Uh, I was doing stand-up comedy because I thought I felt I needed um, stage time and I needed to be out in front of people and learn how to talk to people and, and be relaxed around people. So I, I took acting classes and I, was, I had a little stand-up, a few jokes for like three minutes. And I met this guy who was driving a limo. And I thought, man, that would be a great job for me. I'd be out on the road by myself. I don't have a boss breathing down my neck. So I got a job at the limo company. I was driving a limo, and I dropped this guy off from O'Hare. I dropped him off in Kenilworth, which is like this ritzy suburb on the north shore of Chicago. And I went to have lunch. And next to the um, restaurant was an Irish shop. It had a little Irish tchotchkes in it and all that. So I went in there, and hanging on the, on the wall was a wing picture. Of a, of a racehorse and I'm like wow look there's a racehorse wow and I still wanted to be a jockey so I asked I struck up a conversation with the guy and he's like oh yeah I'm part interest I have part interest in this racehorse and that's my horse and this is the guy this is a trainer and blah 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 I'm like I want to be a jockey and he's like do you now and I said yeah and he goes oh I'll set you up with my with my man I said okay so he sent me to sportsman's I, I knew how to ride already I knew how to ride dressage and jump and run across country and, and do jumps. So I felt pretty confident about going to the racetrack and galloping horses, um, which is not exactly the same as riding a dressage horse. <laughs> so, so I showed up at Sportsman's Park and um, I spoke to the trainer and he said, okay, come back tomorrow morning and uh, we'll put you on some horses. And that's kind of how I got into the racehorse end of it. Um, first of all, I learned how to ride regular regular horses and I learned how to ride by the skin of my teeth by just doing whatever I had to do to ride because it's expensive horse ra horse lessons are expensive riding lessons are expensive and then you got to have boots and then you got to have now you got to have a vest and a helmet and gloves and once you get that then you want your own horse and then you know it's better to have your own horse than to ride school horses all the time so I did whatever it took to to make it so I could ride all the time. And, and that led to me not having a very full life socially. Um, to this day, I don't have any kids. Um, I just live in, a, in one house with my husband um, because of the, of the life choices I made to ride. You know, I'm not Mayor Bloomberg's daughter who everything is provided for her and all she does is throw her leg over the horse and off she goes. You know, when you go to a horse show, you have to have uh, money to stay in a hotel, and you have to have entry fees and food. You have to eat, and your horse has to eat. I didn't have any of that. So the racetrack was a perfect setup because I was paid to ride. <laughs> and that was the first time in my life that I was actually paid to ride. I got paid every horse I rode. So I was always looking for more horses to ride because I got the more horses I got on, the more I got paid. So that was perfect because... Now I was being paid to do what I love to do, and I was I was working towards actually being a jockey. So I, I stayed at Sportsman's, and then Arlington opened in the in the spring, and I went up to Arlington Park, and I was working for a big stable, uh, Irish Acres, and I was getting on a lot of horses for uh, Noel Hickey. And then um, I met this other these other people, and they had stakes horses, and I was getting on their stakes horses, and they wanted to know, did I want to go down to Keeneland and gallop horses at, at, at gallop the two stakes horses 
at Keeneland because they wanted to, to run there, which is in Kentucky. I said yes. So I got rid of my uh, limo job and I got my car and I went down to Keeneland and I started galloping those two stakes horses for the guy. All, all in the, in all of this was leading towards getting my jockey's license, you know, getting experience. So then um, while at Keeneland, those guys, the, the, the guys that owned the race, the racehorse, the stakes horse knew this guy in uh, Florida. And this guy in Florida was always looking for more riders because um, the riders, they're always getting hurt. So there's a high turnover. So they said, did I want to go down to Florida in the winter and gallop sail babies? So I said, yes. So I went back up to Chicago. I got rid of my apartment. I threw everything in the car, went down to Florida. And again, um, I don't. I didn't have any furniture. I, I didn't have. All I had was basically a backpack and some clothes, and you know, the TV, the microwave. Back then, um, comforter, and off you go. You know, and you've just figured out as you go down there. And I didn't have a place to stay. I stayed in a youth hostel for a while. I stayed at this really bad hotel called Scottish Inns. It was twenty-five dollars a night with a sticky floor. You know, you don't want to take your socks off to get in the shower, that kind of place, you know. And um, I just pulled out all the stops to keep riding, and it was tough. And it was tough mentally because I wasn't like everybody else. And I wasn't like, you know, I graduated, I had a college degree, but I wasn't working in my field. I, I was not contributing to my IRA. Um, it was tough. And... Um, but I figured it out, you know, and I, I just showed up for work every morning. That's I made sure I, I showed up for work and I I got on horses every day, every day. I got no matter what was happening in my personal life, I got on horses and I was just working towards being a jockey, being a jockey. So then I went I went to um, I was galloping sale horses for Eddie Woods. Some some people probably know the guy's name. He's a pin hooker in Ocala. And um I had a day off. I don't know how I got it, but I got a day off on Sunday. So I went down to Tampa Bay Downs, which is not far from Ocala. It's at like two and a half, three hours. I went over there. You know, I left at three in the morning so I could get over there at 536 o'clock so I could meet the people. I got on the backside because I had uh, my my uh, exercise rider's license from Keeneland. They let me on the backside. I said, I'm looking for a job. They always need riders, you know, so they let me on and I... I met this lady, and she needed to ride her. Uh, she's from Michigan. Probably she was from, um, oh, what's that uh, racetrack up there? Detroit, you know. And uh, I, I told her I wanted to be a jockey. I wanted to get my jockey's license, and I needed a place to stay. And she said she had a room in her house. I said, okay, that's great. I'm going to put up, put my two weeks in at my galloping job, and I'll be down here in two weeks. She said, fine. So I went back up to my job in Ocala the next morning. I told Eddie, um, I'm leaving in two weeks. Um, so, um, you know, find, you find somebody else. I'll be gone in two weeks. He said, fine. So I go in the next morning. He says, you can leave today because I found somebody else. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it was just like, wow, just a slap in the face. But, you know, that's how it is on the racetrack. It's like, you know, you're leaving. I, I got somebody else to take your place. You can go now. So I did. I just, I went back home and I took my my stick out of the barn because I left it, you know, I would leave it there overnight. And then I took out all my stuff 
and I put my futon in my car and uh, a couple of pots and pans and the microwave and off I went to Tampa and I showed up at this lady's at this lady's I come walking around the shed row at uh, 5 30 the next morning and she's like oh hi I'm like hi I'm here <laughs> she's like oh I wasn't expecting you for two weeks and I was like well I'm here now and she's like okay and um so she put me on some horses that morning and she took me home that afternoon and I got set up in her one room, you know, little apartment. I mean, little, you know, room in her house, which is in a gated community. So it was nice. And then I started walking around Tampa Bay Downs telling everybody I wanted to ride races. And, you know, they look at you like you got three heads and who are you? Where are you coming from? Who are you with? And it's like, well, I'm coming from Chicago. I'm just on my own which is not that good on the racetrack, you know, it's, it's better if you come with an outfit and then you've got, you know, you've already got a job, like, especially as a jockey, you'll have some mounts. But I was just, you know, I didn't know anybody on the racetrack. I didn't have any connections like that. And so then I just started going around asking people if I could get on horses for them. And, you know, one step, put one foot in front of the other, one day leads to the next and I got my jockey's license. One of the one of the most interesting stories that you told me when, or that I found most interesting when we were working on your book, was about <clears throat> the protection that the silks provide as you get in that race. And and I never, I'm, I haven't been a jockey, so I wasn't aware of all the the mud and the stones that are flying yeah. at you. And it, Tell us that story, if if you would, about about how much protection those silks provide for the jockey. Okay, so um, I had never been in a real race before. I had worked horses in company with other horses, but they were always alongside me. You know, we'd work three at a time, but we were out, we were always right next to each other. We weren't in front of each other or behind each other or making any kind of moves. So. My first race, I didn't realize when you get behind another horse going 38, 39 miles an hour, the horses have a concave hoof, which means it's like a cup on on the bottom of their feet. And when they run, it's like they pick up a scoop of dirt, and then by the time the trajectory goes to the back, it's like they're throwing out dirt which is why there's like a, cl- a dust cloud when you see horses and animals running. It's because they're kicking up all this dirt. So I'm behind horses and I'm getting literally pelted with clods of dirt and little pebbles and little stones, you know, not big stones because they take those out. They hopefully take, they take them out. But um, it was, uh, it was, it almost threw me off the back of the horse because I wasn't prepared to be hit literally with clods of dirt going 38 miles an hour and it's worse if it's you know the track is muddy and they're like big clods but and then sometimes the turf will you'll get a big clod on the turf (coughs) you know sometimes they break my goggles they're going you know they're so hard but um, mostly it's just very fine sand pebbles that's hitting you and of course it's hitting the horse too but the horse has what's called a nictitating membrane. It has like a third eyelid, and it, it when they close their eyes, third eyelid protects their eyes 
from this dirt. But they were, you know, they were evolved like that because they're always getting hit with dirt. And um, when they're running. So when I went back to the jock's room, I took off my silks. You know, the bottom of my face was all red because I had just gotten a facial at 38 miles an hour. You know, and um, exfoliating, you know, at 38 miles an hour. And it's probably why my skin looks so good to this day. And um, my arms were all red, was splotchy, you know, red m marks. And um, certainly my legs were in the, you know, the side of my thighs were all, were all red from the, from the sand hitting them. And um, one time I, I, my uh, friend, one of my, the jockeys I rode with got hit by a goose. <laughs> We were coming. We came around the turn, and and we saw the the goose, the geese on the track ahead of us, and we're thundering down the track toward them, and they're not moving. It's like, oh my god! And the the outriders are supposed to keep the geese off the track, but he, he had done that. The outrider did that, but by the time we got back, they had wandered back onto the track. So we ran into a gaggle of geese on the track, and they flew up, and they you know they hit the horses in the chest. It's very dangerous because they can get between the horse's legs and the horse can stumble and go down. But uh, we didn't, uh, that didn't happen. He, might, he just got hit in the arm. It almost took him off the horse, you know, hitting a goose going 38 miles an hour. And the goose are just as afraid, you know, they fly up and they try to fly. So there's wings and beaks and necks and <laughs> feet. And, and then um, not only that, but the goose, the geese live on, on, the, on the turf course in the middle of the track. They live there. And they have their babies there on the inside. But they're eating and feeding on the track all day long, so that, which means they're pooping there all day long. So when you ride on the turf, you get covered with, with goose poop. It's disgusting. You come back and your silks are all covered with, with goose poop. It's, I'm not kidding. Every race, every race, because there's goose poop all over the track. I would imagine it also and makes it just a little slippery, too. Yeah, I can. Yeah, if it's, if it's wet, yeah. Yeah, I can. Yeah. Certainly can. Um, but the silks are not there to protect you. The silks are just colors. You know, they just make it so, so people can tell the horses apart. You know, the owners can say, there's my horse. There's my colors. I, I, I created those colors. That, you know, that kind of thing. Janice, you, you've alluded to it and, and some of the dangers uh, with the uh, with things like geese that we never think about. Uh, but you were involved in an accident that essentially ended your career. And what are you doing now? Tell us, tell us about how that came to an end. I mean, you had a successful career as a jockey. But what's happening to Janice Blake now? Okay, yeah, I had a, a catastrophic uh injury um in a fall my cervical and lumbar spines messed up and basically if i fall again from a horse going 30 miles an hour they might have to carry me off so i said you know what that's that's a, that's enough for me <laughs> i don't want to take that chance you know that's that's a big uh, life change so um i decided not to ride racehorses anymore and I have an online presence. I've been um, working on an online presence over the years. You know, um, it's fun and it's interesting. And so I created a, a system of principles pertaining to be, becoming a jockey and 
being a jockey and the resilience that it takes to get through all these difficult times that presented themselves to me as being a jockey, certainly being a woman in, in a man's world. And it's not, it's just, it's not only a man's world, it's a boy's club, which goes beyond man's world. You know, um, to break into the boys club is, I mean, do you really want to? <laughs> for, for, for starters, you know? So um, just um, that whole evolution of, of um, wanting to break into the, the boys club and then realizing I don't want to break into the boys club. I just want to be myself, um, that kind of thing. Now what I do is I have an online, online uh, Facebook group and I coach primarily entrepreneurs who have an interest in animals, kind of like an animal bent, but not necessarily. It doesn't have to be animals, but um, I coach entrepreneurs to have an online business, to put their business online and to create a website, a uh, Facebook page, Twitter feed, and to, to drive people and business to their program or to their their products and uh that's that's what uh that's what my program is now janice uh you're you're working on a book tell us tell us a little about the book and and what's the purpose what's the point of the book okay the book is about my life as a jockey how i became a jockey and how i navigated through um the racetrack and the decisions that I made, depending on what happened on the racetrack, and uh, it's it's very uh, it's almost I don't want to say a tell-all because I don't name names, but it's all, it's it, it's an expose about what happens on the racetrack that people don't talk about. It, uh, there's a lot of things on the racetrack that are agreed upon. And no one ever says anything about it, but it needs to be said and it needs to be outed, if you will, that this is complicit. You know, this, the horse is breaking down. It's, it's just a, it's, it's, it's a, uh, a cycle of complicity and people just keep their, their mouth shut about it. They don't talk about it. Like if a horse breaks down, dies. Nobody sits, stands around the water cooler and is talking about it. It's just, okay, what are we doing today right now? That horse is already forgotten. That, that instance, that rider um, who got hurt, nobody, nobody goes to see that rider in the hospital. Um, nobody wonders what happened to such and so. You know, it's all on the racetrack. It's all about right now. And it's it's a brutal existence it's a very it's a very now right now um in your face existence and that needs to i believe that needs to to change and it needs to um to be spoken about and there are rules or uh suggestions in place to protect the horses but they're not taken seriously obviously and the book is about is is about the, the the racetrack and and the things that go on there that nobody talks about. Janice, I'm looking forward to the book being released, and we're going to have you back uh, as a guest uh, when when the book is released, and we're going to talk more about the specifics of the book. 
Janice, thanks so much for your time today. Our guest on Everybody Has a Story has been Janice Blake, jockey. That's today's podcast, Everybody Has a Story. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed asking the questions. And if you have any ideas for an interesting guest that you'd like to hear more on any topic, please send the idea along to lessthebookcoach at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.